0: Thank you for listening to this podcasted message from the Garden Fellowship. The Garden Fellowship is a new and exciting church located in Burlington, North Carolina. We invite you to learn more about our church by visiting our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash Garden Fellowship or by visiting our website at gardenfellowship.org. invite you to worship God through the teaching of His Word.
1: Luke chapter 2, we're continuing today with this nativity portion of Luke's Gospel. Christmas in August, we're calling it. Um, we are uh, we're coming today to the section in which the shepherds who received the news last week, they're going to now take this news and they're going to act upon this news. So we're going to look today at verses 8 down through verse 20. We'll re- we, we will re sounding like Elmer Fudd there just a <laughs> little bit. We'll reread from verse 8 down through verse 20. And then we'll kind of go back and we'll cover again some of the things, some of the, the uh, verses that we talked about last week. And then we will um, continue on through verse 20 this morning. So let's read together from verse 8. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. But Mary treasured up these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had seen and heard as it had been told them. So today in this passage, what we're going to look at is something that, that quite quite honestly, any one of us can see and point out for us in the passage. This is going to be very clear to all of us. It's, uh, it's something that you don't necessarily need someone to guide you through the passage in order to see. What we're going to look at this morning are three reactions to the gospel message. The angel comes and declares to them, as the angel says in uh, in the words of Luke here, the good news, good news of a great joy. Good news, um, the Greek word for that, uh, we're familiar. That's where our word gospel comes from. And so they receive this message, this gospel message, and there's three reactions to the message in the passage. And we're going to look at those reactions. That's it's going to help us to think about our gospel reaction. You know, oftentimes our reaction to circumstances is informed and guided by other people's reactions. You ever notice that the way you react to something is kind of dictated by how you see other people react to it? You see news on your Facebook feed and you sort of wait to see what everybody else has to say about it and what they think about it sort of forms how you think about it. Or, you know, this, this phenomenon today of polls that are actually news. You know, when the news comes out with a story that there's a new poll that says, here's what people think. and And why is that news? Well, it's news because so often other people's reactions are what dictate our reactions. So we're going to use that same type of thing today in a positive way. We're going to look at some of the reactions to this gospel message and we're going to help that, we're going to let that help us form uh, our thinking as to how our reaction to the gospel should be. So we're going to look at three reactions this morning and just to sort of throw you off in case you start, were we're starting to think, you know, as you're coming into worship each Sunday morning, I know exactly how Jason's going to preach this passage. Every once in a while I'm going to throw you off and we're going to go backwards today. We're going to look at the last one first. Work from verse 20 back up to the first reaction. So the three three reactions are, first of all, the reaction of the angel, secondly, the reaction of Mary, and thirdly, the reaction of the shepherds. So let's begin with the third reaction first, the reaction of the shepherds. The shepherds receive this, this news. Obviously, the news comes and is spoken directly to them. As far as we know, these are the first humans outside of Mary and Joseph who have received the, the message of the birth of Jesus. And so they're told, fear, fear not. There's this good news, this great joy. We talked last week about the news. We talked about last week about uh, what the angel calls the child. The child is Savior. The child is Christ. The child is Lord We also talked last week about who it is that's receiving this news, these shepherds that are considered among the lowest of the social class of the day. And yet God chose those who were outcasts, those who were considered so untrustworthy that their testimony couldn't even be admitted into court as evidence. Those who were considered to be uh, impure, immoral, thieves, untrustable, liars. God chose them to be the first recipients of this news. So they receive the news, and then there's this reaction. The reaction is, first of all, they go to see uh, the baby. They find the baby according to the sign that's given to them, that the baby is wrapped in swaddling cloths, which is not unusual, but it is unusual that the baby is laid in a feeding trough. That the baby is laid among animals. So the angel says to the, sh- to the shepherds, Go, and here's how you'll find the baby. There's a lot of newborns in Bethlehem. <laughs> You'll find the right one because this baby didn't even have a place among people. He was laid where animals are laid. And so they go and they find it just as as it was said. And then look down at verse 20. This is the first reaction that we'll take a look at. The reaction that we see here is that after they receive the news, they go and they see the child. Then verse 20 says this, And the shepherds returned to their fields, glorifying and praising God, for they for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. So we see in verse 20 that there's this reaction that they return and they're glorifying, they're praising God to one another. I would, I would assume also to anyone else who has uh, been nearby to hear it. Also look at verse 17. And when they saw it, when they saw the baby, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. They made known presumably there to Mary and to Joseph, the saying from the angel that had been told them concerning the child. So the shepherd's role in the story appears to be the role of speaking. They speak to Mary and Joseph what the angel told them. They speak to anyone who will listen these these praises, this glorifying of God, that they speak as they return to their fields. One would assume that the praise didn't stop that night, but continued through the night the next day next week, the next month, we would, cons- we would assume that what they saw and heard has impressed them so greatly that this is something that they will talk about uh, to everyone that they find. So their role in the story seems to be a role that shows us that this reaction they have to the gospel message is the reaction of speaking, of telling others of what they have seen and what they have heard. Now, it's important that they speak the glorious message that they've heard, that they tell others, they tell Mary and they tell others about this message, because the Scriptures teach us of the importance of speaking testimony of Christ. We, um, we remember back to, to Jesus' words in many places, such as Matthew chapter 12, when Jesus says that what comes out of your mouth is a really good indication of what's in your heart. What you speak, what you say, that's a good indication of what's in here. And sometimes that can be hard for us to accept, that what we say is an indicator of our heart. Because what that teaches us is that the words that come out, that's what your heart is. You know, oftentimes people say cruel things or or mean things or unkind things. And later on, when they sort of come to their senses, they'll say, I didn't mean that. Well, not according to Jesus. According to Jesus, you did. That's exactly what you meant. Now, you may not mean that now. You may have changed your mind now. Your anger may have subsided, and now you may have even changed your thinking. But when you said that, that's what you were feeling. That's what you meant right then. So those can be harsh things for us to sort of grapple with, especially if you have small children and you hear some of the things that come out of your mouth at them. So we often take those words of Jesus in Matthew 12 as sort of a negative, and they can be. Jesus... Spoke that in a negative consequence or negative context. I'm sorry, but those words can also be positive for us. That when the things that come out of our mouth are praising, are glorifying God, are speaking testimony for Christ, then that is tremendous affirmation for us of the work that God has done and is is doing in our hearts. What comes out of our mouth when it's things that are acknowledging God, praising God, giving glory to God, giving credit to God, then in the same way as when unkind things come out of our mouth, that's an indication of rottenness that's still in our heart, so also when we praise God with our lips, that's an indication of, of uh, God's work in our heart. As the Apostle John will say, that no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Spirit. So that can be a very po- powerful affirmation for us. Remember when we talked about Mary, as as Mary receives this news from Gabriel and she's in this state of emotional shock. But what comes out of her mouth is Scripture, this praise to God, and and wow, what a wonderful testimony for the heart of Mary. It was a heart that was filled with the Word of God. So these shepherds have this reaction. What comes out of their mouth is this testimony for God showing what's in their hearts. They appear to be people who had been awaiting for Messiah, looking for Messiah. Messiah is here. Now they're overjoyed and they're praising God. Uh, because Messiah has come. So the reaction that they have is a reaction that reminds us that that our reaction to the gospel should be a reaction of speaking and telling others. It should be a reaction of of speaking what we've seen, what we've heard, what we've experienced, what's happened in our heart. Uh, Those should be things that that come out of our mouth. We uh, are reminded of this in many places in Scripture. Who can forget Acts chapter 4? Peter and John have been beaten for what they say. They say, we'll keep on saying these same things about Jesus because we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. What we have seen and what we have heard is so powerful and so life-changing that to stop speaking about those things is not even conceivable to us because they're in our heart, they have changed our heart, and what's in our heart must now come out of our mouth. Or take, for example, uh, Luke chapter 8. The context here is, is Jesus has just cast the demons out of, of Legion. And he's so overwhelmed at the freedom, the, the, the deliverance that Jesus has brought to him, he says to Jesus, let me go with you. And Jesus says, no. Instead, return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away proclaiming throughout the region what God had done for him. So we see that so many other places we could point to in Scripture that, that teach us that the one who has received the Gospel message should have this reaction of also speaking the gospel message as well. So in our notes here, one, one thing that I wanted to point out is it should be of, of something of, of great concern for us, for the one who claims to be a Christ follower. It should be an, an item of concern when we, uh, when we find that our mouth must always be prodded to speak positive things of Jesus. It, that should be troubling when our mouth must always be prodded to speak affirmations of Jesus. And that's not to say that in order to be a Christ follower, every opportunity that comes through your conversations must be this affirming of Jesus. That's not to say that, that everything that you say must be Jesus affirming in, in such a way that, that you miss no opportunity to give glory to God. But that is to say that if you find that your conversations are devoid of praising God, if you find that the only time that you confirm the goodness of God in your life is when you hear others doing the same thing and you sort of think, oh yeah, I I need to do that too. That's a matter of concern because the one who has received a changed heart is one that will speak of what's now in that heart. So a reaction to the gospel message is a reaction of speaking. Secondly, we want to look at the reaction of Mary. And Mary's reaction to the gospel message is a reaction of pondering. Look at verse 19. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. Now, what's she treasuring up? She's not treasuring up the gold, frankincense, and myrrh because that's in Matthew's gospel, not in Luke's gospel. So the only things that she could be treasuring up are the things the shepherds made known to her. That's what Mary's treasuring and pondering are these words. Now, what were the words? The words were unto you, Messiah has come. Now those aren't necessarily new words to her because she's heard them from Gabriel before, but they are nonetheless the words of the gospel. And so Mary treasures up the words of the gospel and ponders them In her heart. Time has gone by. Time has passed. And she's had time to sort of reconsider, to rethink what Gabriel said. It's been months now. When Gabriel spoke those words to her nine months ago, they were shocking, but she believed them. And she had faith in what Gabriel had told her. But time has passed. and, And have you ever known it to be true that when something radical happens in your life that's from the hand of god the easiest time to believe it is right away and then as time passes and sort of the enemy starts working and oh well maybe maybe it was just coincidence maybe that wasn't an answered prayer you know that sort of thing happens to people all the time whatever you notice how time passes and and the faith that you had initially can sometimes be hard to maintain Maybe that happened with Mary. Maybe as time passed, maybe she began to think, well, maybe I did just dream the whole thing up, and you know, maybe, maybe this wasn't what I thought it was, and maybe this is just what I really wanted to be.
0: Especially when you but, think where she gave birth to the child, she's yeah. thinking, "Oh, I'm having this Messiah." <laughs> maybe, you know, maybe
1: wrong. I misunderstood. You know, yeah. And so to hear the words of others mm. affirming. What she herself was told and what she herself believes, that can be a very positive thing. Same thing is true in our life, right? When when we have faith and we believe, but then we hear others affirming their faith, then that also bolsters our own faith. So so perhaps Mary hears these words and the treasuring up in her heart is sort of this treasuring to say, Thank you, God, for that affirmation. Thank you. Yes, there were times, there were days over the last month, nine months in which I doubted that a little bit so thank you for affirming that yes this manger the these these circumstances in which messiah is brought forth yeah that did sort of shake me a little bit so thank you for affirming this maybe that's what's going on in her heart but she meditates on she has cause to meditate and to ponder in her heart she um engages god with her mind she ponders and she meditates She turns these truths, these experiences, she turns them over in her mind and she engages God with her mind in a positive way. And So I just want to stop right there for a moment and say that should be the Christ followers reaction to the Gospel. We should meditate on the Gospel. We should ponder it. It should engage our thoughts and it should engage our minds in stimulating ways, in positive ways, in exciting ways, and in joyful ways. It should be uh, something that that occupies our thoughts, from, at least from time to time. We should engage our mind with this. Now, Scripture points to this sort of thing and too many places for us to trace all these things. But I just want to kind of point out maybe a couple of examples where Scripture speaks to us of the mind engaging God in a loving, positive way. Of course, I think the first thing that comes to mind would be the, the great commandment, according to Jesus, the greatest of all commandments. In places like uh, Mark 12, Jesus is is tested by the Pharisees. What's the greatest commandment? Well, the greatest commandment is, and then Jesus quotes Scripture, but then adds to it, which only He can do, right? Because it's His Scripture. He wrote it. (laughs) So He quotes from Deuteronomy, but Deuteronomy says the greatest of all commandments is to love God with all your heart, soul, and strength. Jesus adds our mind to that. The greatest commandment Part of the greatest purpose of our life is to engage God with our minds in a loving way. Many other places speak of the same thing. Romans 12. um, Don't be conformed, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Ephesians 4. We talked about that a year or so ago. Or what about Isaiah 26? I'm studying in Isaiah right now and I came across this this week. You keep Him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. Because he trusts in you. Perfect peace because his mind is stayed on you. And when I was reading that this week, my mind went to Philippians 4, how the peace of God that passes understanding comes as we think of those things that are good and noble and trustworthy, worthy of praise. Or what about 1 Corinthians 14? Now, the context of 1 Corinthians 14, Paul's talking about spiritual gifts tongues. And he's saying, yes, tongues can be affirming, they can be helpful, but what's more helpful is when your mind is engaged. What am I to do? I will pray with the Spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my Spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. So many other places teach us that our minds are something that God has created to engage God in a positive and affirming way. Now, Um, The gospel should be cause for us to meditate and to to ponder deeply the deep things of God. Um, John Owen, let me put this up here. John Owen said this, In the divine scriptures, there are shallows and there are deeps. Shallows where the lamb may wade and deeps where the elephant may swim. Scripture has both deep and profound truths and it has truths that a five-year-old can understand. It has both of those, doesn't it? That's what Owen is saying. There are places in Scripture where the lamb can play, can wade. And you think of a lamb and how timid and frightful a lamb, not just a sheep, a lamb, And so what shallow, still, calm water for a lamb to play. But then there's places in Scripture where an elephant can swim. Now think of the amount of water needed for an elephant to swim, this gargantuan animal. And what he means here is that Scripture is both profoundly deep and profoundly simple. And sometimes it's both of those in the same place. Scripture holds truths that, that Atlas can grasp. And it holds truths that the most learned, studied, aged scholar of the Bible still can't get their mind around. But sometimes those truths come together in the same place. Like for example, the truth, Jesus loves me. What child can't get that, but yet what adult truly understands that we have been made to be the object of god's love and all of that all of the things that that means to be the object of the love of god so so scripture can be both of those things and the gospel is sort of the climactical place where both of those things come together the gospel jesus died for us we're sinners Jesus died for us, and by faith we are righteous before God. Not that complicated. Or is it? It's both. Just this past week, I was having a a conversation with our oldest in which um, there was some willful disobedience. We were sort of talking, we were working through that. And one of the things I I, I was saying is, is a Christ follower does not willfully disobey. A Christ follower does not knowingly choose disobedience over obedience. And so um, we were sort of fleshing all that out. And I wanted to remind him that as a person with a regenerate heart, that this doesn't change his standing with God. You were still right. And, and there was this moment of total confusion that came over him. How can that be? And he actually said, he said, doesn't that mean that we're deceiving God when we're still bad, but God thinks that we're good, right? I mean, common question. Who has not struggled with that sort of, so common question. And we work through the gospel and, and some of the implications and some of the things that Scripture teaches in that way. But the point, again, is Scripture holds for us. A vast wealth of, of of profound truths that should engage our minds on superficial levels and deep levels for the rest of our life. Our minds should be excited and engaging. Um, it should our, our attention should be captivated by the truth of the gospel. Now again, that's not to say that. We spend all day, every day, in deep thought pondering the truth of the gospel. We don't. We're, we're fallen humans. We're just, we don't do that. But that is to say that if our minds, if our imaginations are never captured by the gospel, then one of two things is true. Either you haven't understood it or you haven't believed it. If your mind is never captivated by the truth of the Gospel, you've either never understood it or you've never believed it. Because to understand it and to believe it will capture your imagination, it will capture your heart, and it will, just like Mary, it will be things that you treasure up in your heart and ponder. So, um, one response to the Gospel message is response of pondering. Now, thirdly, I want to look at the response of the shepherds and their response... I'm sorry, the angels. Their, their response, the response of the angels, is a response of praising. Look at verse 14. So this suddenly there was a, with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom He is pleased. So remind ourselves of what just happened in the previous passage. In the previous section, one angel appears to the shepherds and they are so struck with fear over one angel that they fall to their face in terror. Then they speak words of peace and now a multitude of the same angels appear. We don't know how many that may be but it is numerous, to say the least. So just imagine, it's interesting, isn't it, to sort of ponder what's going on in the shepherds' hearts and in their minds. When one angel scared them senseless, now the sky is filled with them. And they're praising God. And they're declaring peace to those with whom God is pleased. It's interesting for me to to think this is sort of a tangential thought. It's interesting for me to think that this host of heavenly beings—that's what the word host, when you see host in your Bible, what that means is army. It comes from the, the meaning there is 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 a, is a military meaning. And so this host of heavenly angels, this army of angels that are now declaring peace to the shepherds. They're the same army of angels that will accompany peace, capital P. They will accompany peace when peace on earth is finally finalized. So they're speaking this message of peace now. The day will come when they accompany the institution of this peace. But that will truly be a frightful day. Because that will be a day in which those who have not received this peace will never have it. That will be a day of terror. These angels won't actually usher in peace. They will accompany the one who ushers in peace. And that will be as frightened as the shepherds were over the one angel. Imagine the fear on that day when King of kings and Lord of lords is accompanied with his host of angels, and it is then too late to receive his peace. So they receive this mess, or, or they give this message, and after giving the message, even after speaking the message, they themselves then break into this praise. Of course, uh, what's the song? Hark, the herald angels sing. Of course, we know. It doesn't say they were singing; it says they were saying. It says they said, "Glory to God in the highest." And on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. So the angel's response is um, to praise God. Now, we should learn from the angel's response, this response of praise. Our response to the gospel message should be praise to God in our hearts. But isn't it easy, I think, when, when we sort of ponder that the angels responded with praise, isn't it easy to say, well, they were angels? It's easy for them to do, they're just angels. They do everything well. They do everything perfectly. And so, um, yes, it's, it's nice that they're praising God, but that's, how, that's what they're programmed to do. And maybe we should think more closely on the concept of angels praising God. Yes, angels, these angels are perfect, sinless beings. But that also means, being perfect, sinless beings, it means that they do all things well. They do all things perfectly which means that if they praise God, they praise God with a perfectly pure heart. And so it's nothing to scoff at to think that these angels, after speaking the gospel message, they must then praise God for it. Because they do so with a perfectly pure heart, with perfectly pure motives. They do this well. They praise God. Now the takeaway, I think, is These angels, of course, are are praising God for a gospel in which they do not benefit. Angels are, are, are not beneficiaries of the gospel. Angels do not need forgiveness. Angels do not need reconciliation with God. They are not the benefactors of this gospel, yet they praise Him. And so I think the lesson for us is how could we as the benefactors of the Gospel, how can we let angels outdo us in praising God for this Gospel? Shame on us as the recipients of the Gospel, as the ones Jesus died for. Shame on us for needing angels to teach us how to praise God for the Gospel. We should outpraise the angels for this Gospel. We should out in one day we will, but in this life we should, we should out praise the gospels. We should be excited. Um, we should be joyful. Um, we should, uh, as beneficiaries of the gospel, we have every reason to be joyfully excited over this gospel. Now, as we, if we want to trace that theme, the the theme of excitement. Over the Gospel, then that that again is another theme that's that scriptures are replete with the idea of joy of rejoicing in the Gospel. Just a few places to think about Habakkuk three verse eighteen, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord, I will take joy in the God of my salvation, or isaiah sixty one verse ten I will greatly rejoice in the Lord, my soul shall exult. In my God, and numerous, numerous, we could be here for another 30 minutes just talking about the places in which Scripture connects together rejoicing, joy, and salvation. The Gospel should evoke within us a response of joyfulness, of excitement. (coughs) Once again, that's not to say that every time we ponder the Gospel, every time we think of it, we sort of have this bubbly, joyful reaction. But that is to say that if the gospel brings you no joy, then have you received it? Have you believed it? To believe it brings joy. Be concerned if hearing the gospel, if meditating, if pondering on the gospel brings you little or no joy. Be concerned about that. Now, what if it doesn't? What if thinking upon this gospel does not produce in your heart excitement or joy? You know, we're we're thinking through a Christmas passage, and it's not Christmas time, but it is a Christmas passage. And and what's always true about Christmas is is um, one of the things that we see on TV, or maybe you uh, see in Christmas plays or dramas or whatever, is the Christmas Carol, right? Remember the Christmas Carol, Charles Dickens, and remember the whole problem that Scrooge had. What was Scrooge's problem? Well, uh, yeah, we've adopted that word to mean what Scrooge was, but but his problem was he didn't have the Christmas spirit all year long. That was his problem, was that he didn't have the Christmas, the, the generous giving spirit all year long. He was a Scrooge. We now That's what we now call a Scrooge. And what was Scrooge's fix? Scrooge's fix was that somebody came back from the dead. Jacob Marley, remember, came back from the dead. And that so shocked Scrooge that he then got the Christmas spirit and was cured and then had the Christmas spirit all year long. Now, I'm not throwing rocks at Charles Dickens. Charles Dickens helps us with that story. That's a helpful story for us to, to ponder. But I do want to point out that Scripture teaches us that nobody's fixed that way. Luke's going to go on later on to tell us of the words of Jesus when he tells the story of someone who dies and then begs God, I have brothers who don't believe this. Send someone to them and God answers to say, they have the prophets. If they don't believe them, then neither will they believe someone who returns from the dead. So while an interesting story the Christmas carol is false. No one's unbelief is fixed that way. Our unbelief is only fixed by the One who came back from the dead. Jesus. Remember how Jesus says, with man, these things are impossible, but not with God. If... i Scrooge becomes a doer of a a lot of good deeds, which is a good thing. But to get to the matter of the heart, Scrooge's heart could not have been changed by Jacob Marley. And so the heart of the matter is that if you find yourself struggling, wishing you were excited about the Gospel, wishing you could be excited, seeing other people excited about it and knowing that that's never how you... The answer is only God. Only He can change the heart. Only He can cause belief where there is no belief. We hope you enjoyed
0: this podcast and message from the Garden Fellowship. The purpose of the Garden Fellowship Church is to make disciples of Jesus Christ through loving God, loving each other, and loving our community. We hope you were blessed by this message. You can learn more about our church by visiting our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash gardenfellowship or by visiting our website at gardenfellowship.org.